welcome everybody to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, today, Josh Weissman from Flourish Veterinary Consulting is back on the podcast, and we are going to unpack his idea, his theory, his position that eliminating problems is not the answer to mental health and wellness in vet medicine. Uh, I think it's a fascinating position. I think he makes a lot of really good points. Maybe, uh, maybe there's more to this than just fixing broke stuff. I don't know. Let's get into it. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame. With Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome, welcome to the podcast, Josh Weissman. How are you? I'm doing well, Andy. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate you. Oh, my, my pleasure. I, I, I always enjoy when we get to talk, and uh, and I wanted to pick up what you and I were talking about last time you were on the uh, episode. So we had a really good conversation, and we got to the end, and and you said, uh, you know, eliminating challenges in uh, for in the vet clinic is not the answer for making our profession healthier. And I thought that that was really interesting. And I, I wanted to come back today and unpack that a little bit, you know? And so we talk a lot about uh, having healthy practices. We talk about mental health and wellness. We talk about, you know, having a positive workplace culture. And the idea that eliminating problems is not the approach that's gonna get us to a positive workplace culture, to me is, uh, is counterintuitive. And so I wanted to, I think it's counterintuitive for a lot of people, right? Because yes. we're, we're problem solving people. Like yes. that's what I do for a living is I'm like, what's the problem? Let's run some diagnostics and better yep. understand the problem. And now yep. let's remove this problem. Correct. Walk me through why you say that. Yeah, there's like so many different ways that I, I feel like I can approach this. And I use a whole wide variety of analogies. I'm, I'm going to pull from one that I've been using a lot lately when I talk to uh, veterinary leaders about positive leadership, the science of positive leadership, which is really kind of a, a big passion for me. You know, I start off uh, these presentations often by recognizing the challenges of our work. Our work is hard and what we do, it's really difficult. It takes a lot out of us physically. It's emotionally and psychologically expensive. Uh, there's a great deal of uncertainty in our work at each and every day. And uh, there's challenges, challenges that contribute to risks of things like burnout and compassion fatigue and you know, depression and all those kinds of things. Those are real and those realities, mm -hmm. they've always existed. They still exist today. They will exist in five and 10 and 20 years. And then I paint a picture. I say, imagine that, uh, you know, tonight a miracle happens. Like literally you go to bed and overnight a miracle occurs and tomorrow you wake up to discover that all veterinary debt has disappeared. Like it's all gone. All mm -hmm. of your student debt, even your mortgage payment, like it's, it's all gone. You have no more debt. And then you go to work to discover that your boss has tripled your salary. So like you're, boom, just like yeah. that snap of a finger as a practicing veterinarian or a practicing veterinary technician, you're now making more than most of your medical cohorts, uh, human medical cohorts. Mm -hmm. Oh, and you don't have to work a minute over 35 hours a week to make that pay. Like, I mean, that's it. You get to mm -hmm. 35 hours period, you go home. If you even have to work that many hours and there's no more double books. You're one appointment at a time, one after another, no more emergencies, no more squeeze-ins, no more day admits, like yeah. easy peasy throughout the day. And by the way, every single one of your clients has also gotten a triple increase in their salary. So they are now ready to say yes to every one of your recommendations. 
Like what a glorious scenario, right? Yeah. Eliminating like almost all of the problems that we identify in veterinary medicine in one fell swoop with this great miracle. And I, you know, I tell this story and I look out at the audience and I see the reactions in their face and the nods and the smiles and the thumbs up and everybody's yeah. happy because this would be great. And I completely agree, it would be absolutely wonderful. And then the next thing I say is, raise your hand if you agree with this statement. If this miracle scenario happened overnight, everybody in veterinary medicine would be happy, joyful, and fulfilled. And no hmm. one raises their hand. Why is yeah. that? Because the elimination of those problems, while wonderful, while helpful, while beneficial, isn't cultivating what we're trying to grow. There's a difference between eliminating something that's a problem and growing what you intend to have or hope to have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. You know, I, um, I lean a lot into evolutionary biology in mm -hmm. these, in these things. I, I definitely look at, look at happiness through a science lens. The, the truth that I have settled on that, you know, and so the truth that I have settled on is, you know, we are, I believe we are ruled by natural selection. Like I believe that that has made us as human beings and contented species are dead species. They yeah. die. They stop exploring. <laughs> they stop pushing themselves. They stop innovating. They stop doing things to colonize new areas. They are content and they are dead. And that is why I believe that we, the way we are made, we are not made to be content. Yeah. I, I just, I think we are made to be slightly unhappy all the time. <laughs> I do. And, I, and people who hear me talk, I, I, this is this is why I gravitate to a lot of the Buddhism teachings. Because yeah. like, you know, one of the, the key tenets there that people hear me talk about is life is suffering. And they go, oh, that's really morbid. And I'm like, I don't think it is. I think, I think you should accept it. And yeah. then you should decide how you're going to suffer because yeah. that is empowerment. And, yeah. and, and it's a kind of a twisted worldview, but I has a core tenet in my life that I've come to over, yeah. over the years. And so, yeah, it's, it's a hundred percent true. So, so when I come in and the magic has happened and my salary has gone up and all these things are great, I, I think I would be happy and other people would too for a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of weeks. It's called the hedonic yeah. treadmill, yeah. right? Like, uh, yeah. it's yeah. like, like it has to, you can't, you can't just be happy. You, you, it, whatever you're doing becomes the new norm yep. and then it becomes boring or it becomes unfulfilling or there's a new, a new stress or struggle. Yeah. 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 It would be at some point you would get frustrated. You'd be like, my job is not as challenging as it used to be. And like yeah, you find something to be unhappy about. Yeah, absolutely. You, you actually, you're bringing up a really wonderful point, Andy. Um, when you talk about this hedonic treadmill, that's built on our, uh, you know, incredible capacity as as living creatures to adapt to our situation. Uh, you know, we um, uh, hedonic adaptation is what psychologists refer to it at. But you could you could think of it. I like to use the example of like olfactory adaptation. You know, when you walk into the treatment room and you just yeah. you instantly, as soon as you walk back there, you know somebody's expressed anal glands recently yeah. here, right? Like, you know, but then you spend a few minutes in treatment and all of a sudden you don't notice the anal glands anymore. And it's not because those molecules have disappeared from the air. They're still there. It's just that your body's adapted to it. We're built the same way psychologically. We have to be able to adapt. It would not be beneficial to us to be bouncing creatures back and forth. In fact, that's what we call, you know, mental illness when we, mm -hmm. you know, bipolar disorder, when we go yeah. from like, extremely ecstatic to thoroughly depressed in one fell swoop, you know, moment after moment. That's not helpful. It's not beneficial. 
So you're absolutely right. In, in these scenarios, if all of these problems were eliminated, what we would end up doing is finding new problems. Yeah. That's because that's how we're built. So what I'm interested in is how do we then cultivate environments that are not so deficit focused, that are actually cultivation and growth focused? How do we create environments that allow people to experience, as you referred to, the good challenges and the good stresses so that the suffering that we have to go through in life is fulfilling and meaningful to us and we get something valuable out of it? Yeah. Yeah. So. So it's sort of like when you say, how, you know, how do you suffer? How do you struggle? Like, yeah, how, how do we set ourselves up so that the challenges are things that when they're over, you go, oh, that was that was really good. I, I'm glad yeah. I, I did that. You know, sort of like uh, think of it as as think of it like like a feeling of reward that you would get after going on a long hike or running a marathon or, you know, or whatever, yeah. whatever, how, whatever insanity uh, struggle you, you choose and prefer. But, you know, where you're like, yes, that was a challenge. And yes, that was hard. I'm glad I did it. I, I think I yeah. think that that's really what we're that like that's that's the apex, isn't it? Like, isn't yes. it, that that's got to be the aspirational goal? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot over the last few years, in particular, because I, you know, I was very much the the deficit focused leader. I, I came into work looking for problems to solve, and th- listen, that's part of leadership, and that's part of life. And that's part of the work that we do. We are problem solvers and we have to continue to solve those problems. My concern is that if all we're focused on is identifying and solving problems, we're not growing anything. It's sort of like having a garden where all you ever do is pull the weeds. What about planting a seed? What about fertilizing the earth? What about watering that seed and applying sunlight to it and nurturing it so that it grows? I feel like we don't do enough of that, you know, and I think that drives some of our focus. When, when we talk about things like burnout, compassion fatigue, we're, we're looking at deficit and elimination, and that's important. But then what happens if we do eliminate those things? Then yeah. what? We've got to do something else to grow something. Well, I really like that analogy a lot because the question I was going to put to you in a, in a second is, you know, um, ignoring our problems and being like, oh, we, we're not going to problem solve our way to happiness. That, that's yeah. not realistic either, right? Like, like yeah. we, it's, this, it's this part, I guess what I was sort of wrestling with is what I've found a, a lot in, in practice and in life, you know, a lot of times there's not a grand plan that, that any of us have. You know, it's sort of like a, the old saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I found that to be true again and again. Uh, very recently, uh, re- in the last couple of years, really hammered the point home. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, what, what does tend to help is, is getting a little bit better every day, you know, focusing on those steady improvements and not making the same mistakes twice and not, you know, um, and not, not repeating my ears, all, all those sorts of things. Just saying, hey, how do I make my day at the clinic just a little bit better tomorrow than it was today? And mm-hmm. repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat for five, seven, ten years. And boy, you've got a great place to work. And so, that. so that's true. I, I think your analogy of the gardening, I, I think that that's, I think that that's a great one or say, I'm not saying you don't weed. Obviously you don't let your garden become overgrown. At the same time, if all you do is weed, you, you're not really, you're not really going, you're, you're maintaining stasis, I guess, you know, and, and stasis isn't always bad, but it's definitely not, it's not, it's not growing and developing and taking you to a place where you're going to say, I've been at this for 15 years and now I look around and this is a beautiful garden to be in. Yeah. It's like, no, it's, it's going to look about the same as it did before yeah. because you've been sort of playing whack-a-mole with weeds. Yeah. 
I 100% agree. I, you know, I love, I love that you brought that up because to me, what I hear and what you're saying here is this idea of both and, you know, I, I, I think that we have a tendency and of course we do. It's, it's part of how our uh, psychology evolved as human beings. We have a tendency to think in either ors, black and whites, you know, things are good or they're bad. Uh, you know, there are problems or there are not. And I think that we, can embrace more of a both and approach and find that it will be healthier and uh, more enlivening for us. And so, uh, yeah, you know, listen, you if you're going to be a gardener, every gardener knows if all you do is pull weeds, uh, at, the be- at the best, you're going to maintain stasis. At worst, you're going to frustrate the hell out of yourself because there's always another weed to pull. Yeah. I don't know if you guys down in the Carolinas have these things, but in Colorado, we've got a thing called bindweed. And bindweed, it's like the core of that plant is more than six feet underground. There's no way I'm ever going to get rid of my bindweed, right? So if I go out in my garden and that's all I ever try and do, my gosh, Andy, all I'm ever going to be doing is pulling weeds and never succeed in anything. I never accomplish anything. On the flip side, if I don't do any management to my garden from a weed perspective, then it becomes really difficult for the things that I'm trying to grow to actually flourish. So you got to be able to do both. And, yeah. and that's what I'd really like to see our profession do. I feel like we've put an inordinate amount of energy, resources, investment, and time in eliminating problems. And I'll tell you, unequivocally, eliminating those problems is not going to get us what we want. My wife currently works in a job where she is not burnt out. Not at all. She's not at risk for it. She, it's not going to happen to her. And let me tell you, she's 100% miserable in her job. Because even if you eliminate burnout, it doesn't mean you're going to create satisfied, fulfilled people. Yeah. No, that's okay. So this is hitting a couple of different buttons for me. I want to I unpack. First one, I want to add a little nuance to the to the weeding conversation because I'll tell you something that that I have. Um, I like the analogy a lot. One of the things that, that that I am saying to a lot of people these days, and so this is a good metaphor for it. Um, so so we we have weeds in our practice, and we we want to plant and we want to grow, and then also we have to deal with weeds. I, so I got, I got really into gardening during the pandemic. And so that's been something, you know, especially if you remember early on in lockdowns, like I found yeah. a lot of peace in my yard, uh, planting and doing. Yep. And so I got through the first sort of year and I got into the summertime and here in South Carolina, it's hot uh, and it's humid. It's too hot to plant anything because it's going to die before I, like I'll water it frantically and it still dies. <laughs> I, I'm just going to And so I actually looked up like <laughs> garden, summer gardening, you know, in, in my area and I found this great article and what it said across the top, the first line was, if you're doing summer gardening in, uh, in the Carolinas, get, uh, decide to enjoy weeding because that's what you're going to do. <laughs> and, and it was, and it was funny, but it was yeah. a great thing for me because I thought I was failing because nothing, I was not doing anything, but all the weeds are everywhere. And I'm yeah. like, like, everything I plant dies and what the heck is going on. And yeah. so I throw that down and just say, I'm talking to a lot of people in practice right now who are like, I'm barely keeping my head above water. Uh, the team is, is burned out. All I'm doing is fixing problems. Yeah. And what I would say to people too in this analogy is, I, it has been meaningful in my life to realize that there are some phases you're going to go through where all you're going to do is pull weeds. And there's going to be other phases where this is the perfect time to plant and grow. And you've got fertile soil and you've got opportunity. Yeah. And I, I think that a lot of people look and say, I'm not... 
I should be balancing these things at all times. At all times, I should be doing new things and cultivating things and yeah. also solving X amount of problems. And there's a ratio. And I yeah. just found that that's not true. And, and so not, I just want to say yeah. that as we unpack this to people, yeah. there are people out there who go, I do not have time to start new things, to develop new things. I'm keeping my head above water. And I go, you know what? Sometimes it's summertime gardening and we just weed. Yeah. And know, yeah. know that know that, that season will pass, you know, and yeah. uh, and we will get to a place where, where we can do other things to grow and develop. Yeah. So so yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense to me. The the other thing that you sort of said that I think is really interesting here. So so walk with me and tell me if you see this. Um I see an emphasis in some of that practices on resting that seems um over overemphasized. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna get in a lot of trouble here if I don't, if I don't explain myself, I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't rest. We should, and we should have boundaries and, 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 and we should take care of our staff. You know what I mean? And we should all be able to go home and unplug. And I talk a lot about, you know, the, the, the key to resilience is how you rest as much or more than as how you, how you work. And mm-hmm. so resting is vitally important. I'm not saying that, but I do see some environments, some teams that seem to have grabbed onto this idea that if we could rest, if we could, um, yeah, if, if, we can, if we can take, we can take breaks to happiness. Mm. We can take breaks until we have mental health and wellness. If yeah. we rest enough, if we enforce lunch breaks hard enough, then people will be happy at work or, or, or we will have mental health and wellness. Yeah. And I've never been able to buy into that. And and again, I'm, I, I'm not saying that resting is not important. It is important. Yeah. I just don't believe that a team can rest their way to happiness. There's got yeah. to be more of it than that. But I, I do feel like there's a misperception among some teams where they yeah. grabbed onto this. And it was just like, I don't know. I think it's because people are busy and they're like, if I wasn't busy, then I would be happy. And I've always felt like I, I don't, if you weren't busy, I, I don't. I don't think that would be the panacea that you think it is. Do, do you see that mentality? I I do. I think I think you bring up a really great point, Andy. I think that you know, um, rest is uh, sort of um, you know it's it's a core essential part of life, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, to to believe that we can rest ourselves to happiness is. Uh, in many ways, no different from believing that we can breathe ourselves to happiness. You know, we, yeah. we have to have oxygen to survive. We yeah. need to have rest to survive. And if the goal is survival, then absolutely rest should be the top priority. Yeah. But if the goal is to get beyond survival into a state of thriving, where we actually extrapolate something of value and meaning from the work that we do, from our relationships, from our life, uh, to feel what we might call quote unquote happiness, that's something that you add on. That's mm-hmm. something that you grow. You know, there's a there's an example I'll use to sort of describe what what I think you're getting at here. Andy, you're a practicing doctor. You, you know, you have definitely had days like this where you've gone into the practice and, you know, I don't know, your alarm went off late or it was chaos with the kids at home or there was horrible traffic or there was an accident. You get to work 10 minutes late to discover that actually it wasn't that big a deal because your first appointment is going to be a half hour late anyway. Oh, and by the way, two of your credential technicians have called in sick that day and three of your very best clients have called in with emergencies. Like you hit the ground running and it is chaos. You finally get to the end of the day at six o'clock and you realize I haven't taken a break. Oh, I haven't actually peed yet today, right? So you go to the bathroom, you go back to your office, you collapse into your chair. I mean, utterly depleted. 
physically exhausted, emotionally drained. You can't even imagine doing anything else. And now you've got like two or three hours of medical records to catch up on. And then you look at your desk to realize, I know, right? I can see your face. Yeah, the yeah. Face my you're making is like, oh, gosh. yeah. My face is is definitely tense. I'm I'm actively trying to relax my face. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you're in that state where you're feeling what, what what your face was belying right there. You're in that state, and you glance over at your desk before you start your medical records, and you notice that the mail's been delivered. It's been sitting there for hours, but at the top of it is what looks like a card, like a personal card, like what what might be like a birthday card or something. Mm -hmm. You you grab that envelope and you open it up, and sure enough, it is. It's a card. It's a handwritten card from one of your favorite clients. This woman who she knows you so well that she's gone to the store and picked out a card that's like absolutely perfect for you. Like it's the perfect fit. In fact, you look at it and you kind of smile because you know, like she really gets me. Mm -hmm. You open it up to find a handwritten thank you note. See, last week you did something that to you at the time felt innocuous and maybe a little bit kind of extra. On your way home, you dropped off some meds at her house. I mean, you drive by her house every day anyway. What's the big deal? You dropped it off. But gosh, it was so meaningful to her. She went to the store, picked out this custom card for you and hand wrote a thank you note. How do you feel in that moment? Yeah, you feel, I mean, you, you feel like the work you're putting in is at least worth it to some degree. Yeah. And to be able to do the next activity you're going to do, filling out those medical records, you're probably going to sit up a little bit taller. You're going to be a little more awake. You're going to be a little bit more engaged and energized. These are the things that we can add to induce happiness. Now, if you came to the end of that day and all you did was, quote, rest, you might have the energy to endure a day like that again tomorrow. You might be able to survive mm. that day one more time. But you're not going to get joy out of that day without right. adding something. And that's what those kinds of things are. And I think, I think leaders have an incredible gift, a wonderful opportunity to enable more of those kinds of experiences that energize people and give them joy in their work. Hey guys, I just want to jump in real fast with a couple of updates over on the uncharted side of the house. Guys, I've got my strategic planning uh, workshops coming up with the one and only practice management goddess, Stephanie Goss. We have four independent standalone strategic planning workshops. I'm going to put a link so you can check them all out. They start at the end of January. Uh, you can go to one of them. You can go to all of them. They are free to Uncharted members. Uh, they are $99 to the public for a session or $299 for all four. We're going to go through evaluating your employees, setting your vision. We'll be looking at dashboards and metrics. We'll be looking at priority and goal setting and action steps and accountability. All those things are covered. Uh, take a look if you're like, man, we got to get our head straight. We got to get a plan. We got we to gotta get this business going in the right direction. I'd love to work with you on that. So check them out. They are virtual. Jump right in and participate. Take, take part in the workshop. On April 21st, we are kicking off the Uncharted Veterinary Conference. It runs from the 21st to the 23rd. It is in person. It is in my hometown. Greenville, South Carolina is about running smoother, simpler, more enjoyable businesses. That's what we're doing. We are getting into uh, communication that gets things done. We are getting into using technology to simplify and streamline, not to add more stuff for us to do in our businesses. Everybody is busy. Now is the time to start to work together to make your business run smoothly. So you're not just running from one fire to another fire. To another fire and if you're feeling like you're just putting out fires all the time and you're tired god you need to come to this event 
Uh, it is open to Uncharted members, so you'll need to grab a membership and then come on. I'll put links to that in the show notes as well. I would love to see you there in April. It is going to be a limited attendance event. We're gonna keep the numbers down uh, for COVID precautions and just to make sure we have a wonderful experience uh, and a safe experience for the people who are there. Guys, uh, I would love to see you there. Let's get back into this episode. The transition I wanna make is, is into practicality. So I, I think that you and I are, are on the same page as far as um, we're not going to remove problems to get to happiness. And we've got to, we've got to, we have to manage problems, but we also have to add in something else that's going to, that's going to, I don't know, to, to give us that purpose, yeah. to give us that encouragement, things like that. At a price, so, so I'm sure there's a lot of, of, of doctors and, and technicians that are listening. Oh, great. Sounds real, real good. How does that help me tomorrow? And so, yeah. so that's where I want to go now. It's like, okay, cool. I'm 100% on board with where we are. I believe philosophically that we're right in line. What does that look like as far as implementation in a vet practice that's swamped uh, right now? Or, you know what I mean? Or, the, or that just doesn't have that or has been uh, really working hard to try to make sure that people get breaks uh, because, and, and that is the, the extent of their wellness program. Yeah. Where, where, do you, where, do you, where do you even start with that? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, how many hours do we have? <laughs> uh, no, so, you know, listen, I, I, I want to stress, I'm not telling people to give up on, on their current, you know, wellness no. approaches of trying to, you know, stress breaks and make sure people have rest and they get out of work on time and we have the support that we need and, uh, you know, that the resources are available. Those things are important. Keep doing that stuff. You got to do that stuff. That makes a difference and it helps. It enables higher level capacity to get to the kind of things that you and I are talking about. And then, you know, the truth is, is that a lot of the stuff that I'm that I'm talking about, I mean, I've got a whole myriad list of tools. I'm actually literally yesterday, I finished the first draft of a book on the science of positive leadership in veterinary medicine that I'm writing for AHA Press. So hopefully sometime next year, that book is going to be published and it'll have a whole bunch of tools and practices around this framework that I've developed that can help enable this kind of thing in leaders. But the book's not out yet and we don't have time to talk about 300 pages of material. Some of the simplest things that we can do is really just notice and affirm. And I, I want to give credit where credit is due. I'm taking that exact verbiage from a friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Zach Mercurio, M-E-R-C-U-R-I-O. I encourage all your listeners to look up Zach. Zach is a wonderful, wonderful guy doing some really incredible and meaningful work. So what do I mean is mean by notice and affirm? I'll often stand in front of a group of, you know, veterinary leaders, hospital owners, practice managers, medical directors, uh, tech leads, and I'll ask them, raise your hands if you agree with this statement. The people I work with matter. And everybody in the room instantly raises yeah. their hand because we, we all believe that. We're all sure. good people who care about the people around us. Then the next question I ask them is, okay, keep your hands up if you agree with this statement. Every day, the people I work with do things that matter. And everybody keeps their hands up because yeah. it happens. We know this. It's in our minds. We get it. What I want to encourage us to do is to shift from thinking to showing. If people matter, show them how. If the things that they do matter, show them how. There are super simple ways to do that on a routine basis. You're interacting with your team every single day. Choose with intention, moments in time where you can use that interaction to show them that they matter 
and to show them that the things that they do matter. Because that's yeah. all, that client that wrote you the letter, that's what she was doing. She was noticing what you did and affirming the impact that it had. You can do that as a leader because it's happening all around you all the time. That's super insightful. And I'm sitting here, of course, and I'm going, I would have my hand up. I would have my <laughs> hand up. I would put my hand down. <laughs> when, when you ask if I, do, do I communicate that to those people? It's like, I oh, know I do not do as good a job of that as I should. I have a, I have a feeling that you probably do it fairly well. Just, just because of who you are. I mean, you're somebody who notices things. I mean, just in this conversation, you've, you've picked out and noticed the nuance of some of the stuff that I've said, and then you've repeated it in your own stories and your own words with questions. Well, I, I try. Well, thanks for saying that. I try to. I, one of the weaknesses that I have that I have noticed recently, like, so I, um, I have, I have come to really understand in the last couple of years how different people appreciate differently and feel appreciated differently. And so there are ways that I feel appreciated and there's ways that you know, don't affect me as, as much in how I'm appreciated. So for example, yeah. um, I will go through my family really quickly and say my youngest daughter, uh, her sort of language of appreciation is time. She wants mm -hmm. to spend time together. And if you want to make her happy, then you spend time with her. Uh, yeah. Have a project, uh, you take her, take her, just take her with you to run errands, but just let her control the the radio. You know, she likes to yeah. DJ yeah. with my phone, but just, just take her and just be with her. And she loves it. And my older daughter, uh, her language of appreciation, her love language is gifts. It's not to be expensive, but just, just a thing that, that, that shows that you were thinking of her, you know, uh, just, just something like that. She, she loves to bake for other people and she, she does it because, it's something special that she makes that they can't buy. And she says, I made this for you. And she gives it to you. My wife's language of appreciation is service. If you want to make her feel appreciated, help her, you know, help yeah. her on the things that she, that she cares about. My language of appreciation is verbal appreciation. I like to, I like to get pat on the back. Just, you just tell me, uh, just tell me you appreciate me. And, and that yeah. means, that means a lot to me. Yeah. And so I'm good at verbal appreciation. And that yeah. is something I, I feel like I, I feel like I say things to people and I point things out. And that's true. I am not that good at even if I know someone's language appreciation is gifts or yeah. time or things yeah. like that. I often don't lean into those things. And that's something yeah. I'm trying to get better at is to say, OK, and I, I really do feel being fair to people. I yeah. feel like a lot of people struggle with, you know, they struggle to, to make people feel appreciated or, you know what I mean? Or yeah. to make people feel that they matter. I don't, I, I think if it was really easy, everybody would do it. I, I do think that it's more challenging than, than we make it out to be, especially when you're appreciating people who see the world a, a bit differently than we do. And so I'm sitting here and I'm going, God, I really need to, I really need to, to write those thank you notes or, or, you know, or, or pick out some gifts or, or, you know, or, or, or to schedule some time with the people, uh, for whom this matters. I, I you know, this, this falls into the category for me is I talk a lot about using positive reinforcement in practice and pouncing on the good things that people do yeah. and, and calling them out, right? Like we, yeah. we know from training animals and people are just simple animals. I don't care how many degrees you have. Uh, you're a simple animal. We know that positive reinforcement works and we know that, that it's a whole lot easier and better to jump on things that people do well and celebrate them than it is to follow them around and catch them when they mess up and yeah. always have these corrective, hey, you messed up conversations. Yeah. And so why doesn't everybody just do that? Be it's because it's it hard. takes effort. It is hard. It's, it's hard. It, it, it takes effort. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I, yeah. I appreciate you saying that, but it's funny. I'm yeah. sitting here. I'm, I'm just as, <laughs> as human as everybody else. And I'm going, oh, man. I, I don't do that, that enough. I, I, I want to share three quick things with you. 
Yeah. Uh, number one, I want to I want to share some appreciation for you. <laughs> number two, I want to recap a little bit of what you said. And then number three, I, I want to talk about what I hear as an opportunity and what you shared there. Yeah, sure. The, the first thing I want to share with you, uh, you know, genuine appreciation for me is you, you and I got to meet uh, for the first time in person at, at Western and, and it was a wonderful lunch and a great conversation. And then you reached yeah. out to me about being on your podcast and we had a good conversation a few weeks back. Yeah. And then you invited me back to talk about this topic. And to me, what that, what that speaks to is, is your character and your values. And I don't mean that in like a, you know, puffing myself up sense. What I mean by that is that this stuff matters to you, which means to me that people matter to you and, and people matter to you enough to actually take time out of your busy schedule to talk about how we can help them. That's important. That's yeah. meaningful stuff. And I, I really appreciate you for doing that, for using your platform for, you know, for that kind of good. Uh, the second thing I want to do is, um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do a one a, which is to point out that what I just said to you is exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Just noticing those kinds of things about people in the day to day and then sharing it with them makes a difference. Yeah. So number two, I said, I want to kind of recap some of the things you talked about and you, you brought up some of these like language of appreciation ideas and how you, you recognize that you're, you do well with verbal appreciation. It has a real big impact on you. You, you use the, the verbiage of like, I'd like to get the pat on the back and mm -hmm. I got to be honest with you, Andy, I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. And then you talked about your wife and your wife like really responds well to service. If you really want to show her that she matters to you, help her with something. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was your intention. And I apologize if I'm if I'm coming across uh, uh, abrasively here, it's not my intention, no. but implied in how you were describing that was a little bit of what I mean by that either or. This idea that, okay, I'm really good at verbal appreciation, but I know that not everybody responds as strongly to that. You know, some people like gifts, some people like time, some people like, you know, service, and I'm not as good at that. Implied in that is that if I don't provide service to my wife, then I'm not appreciating her. That's an either or mentality. And actually what I think is that there's a both and here. Mm -hmm. Because what I think that you can do is still verbally appreciate her and it will impact her positively, just not as strongly as the service does. But if you can continue to use your strength of verbal appreciation and show that you're trying to learn her style of appreciation too, that'll make a difference as well. And I think that's the opportunity that uh, we have as leaders in our practice, which leads to point number two. Notice and affirm is, is the foundation. But if you don't understand people, if you don't develop a relationship with them, whereby you can discover that verbal appreciation makes a difference, but gosh, a gift really is gonna have an impact. And then learn about what are the kinds of gifts and what are the things that this person's interested in. Man, if you can develop that high quality relationship with your people, notice and affirm will be easy for you on a mm -hmm. daily basis. Yeah, no, that, so that, that makes a lot of sense. That, that makes a lot of sense. So. Um, Josh, thank you uh, for being here. Thanks for talking through everything with me. Where can people find you and Flourish Consulting? Yeah, so uh, our website is flourish.vet, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H.vet. Um, I am also quite active on LinkedIn. I post a lot of... Uh, blog articles and, you know, concepts. I, I, a lot of what I do is I take what the research shares. I've got this like huge, actually this one I'm very fascinated by that I'm holding up to show you. It's a, it's a big article that was recently published on what leaders can do to support their own well-being. 
hmm. which I think is incredibly important as well. So I'll take like articles like that and then I'll condense it down into like a three to five minute read with some tangible tools and practices. So I do a lot of that. I post those on the website and on LinkedIn. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll have to take a look. I haven't, I haven't logged into LinkedIn forever. My LinkedIn profile actually says uh, Dr. Andy Rourke, like father, veterinarian, guy who doesn't check LinkedIn. And and, that's, and every time every time I logged in, I have 7,000 friend requests uh, on LinkedIn. And so I just I just get overwhelmed and I just leave. So I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to wade back into LinkedIn. I wish you all the best of luck in navigating that uh pool of notifications. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, uh, thanks again, buddy. It's always good to see you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. As always, the best, kindest, nicest thing you can possibly do for me if you like the episode is to leave an honest review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast episodes. Uh, It's how people find the show. It gives me some uh, guidance about what people like. Uh, it just, and it keeps me encouraged to keep doing the episode. So, uh, I really appreciate it guys. Take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you soon.